the two most important things are to teach somebody how to breathe and to eat well. Forget about exercise, but it's breathing and eating well. And we do neither. So the first thing I did was breathe with Lucian, and then I took him into the gym. And instead of kicking his ass in the gym, I made him understand that in order to work out, he's got to be able to control his breathing. Because no animal on the planet overbreathes. No animal on the planet hyperventilates. Is anybody familiar with the Wim Hof technique? Wim Hof himself, right? So that's how I got my start. I became superhuman. I was out in the cold. It was six Januarys ago. It was the coldest winter ever in New York City. And that day it was actually seven degrees with a minus 11 wind chill. So my son and I got into an ice bath. Crazy. Got into an ice bath, put on a pair of shorts, walked out of my building in a pair of shorts. <laughs> Everyone thought we were crazy. And we're meditating in the snow. And I was out there for 30 minutes. And I felt superhuman to the cold, except my hands and my feet were going numb to the point where I had to, I had to go home. And I literally felt like I was getting frostbite because I, as an athlete, for 30 years of wrestling and over-exercising, was heavily breathing every time I worked out. And when you heavily breathe, you remove a gas called carbon dioxide. Everybody knows carbon dioxide. Well, I have to tell you that it's not a waste gas. I'm sorry to say that there's no such thing as carbon dioxide poisoning. There's no such thing as carbon dioxide fuel poisoning. Monoxide, yes. Pollution, yes. But not carbon dioxide. And it's, it's a physiological law of cellular respiration. I don't know why they say these things, but it's a fallacy. It's not true. Because in 1904, there was a Danish scientist named Christian Bohr. His son went on to win the Nobel Prize in 1919 for quantum physics, Niels Bohr. People have heard of him. Well, when dad was 85 in 1904, he originated this idea, or they called it the oxygen hemoglobin disassociation curve. So it meant that carbon dioxide was literally the primary stimulus to breathe. It's the driver of life not oxygen. So very simply, if I have a red blood cell, which we all do, we have millions of them, and everybody knows a red blood cell carries oxygen. So once the red blood cell has oxygen in it, now during COVID, everybody had a pulse oximeter on and you were checking your saturation. So when you saw the, the number 99, everybody would be like, okay, this is good. I have a lot of oxygen in my body. Well, you have that saturated oxygen till the moment of your death. You don't take your last breath, you breathe out your last breath. So when you remove the remaining carbon dioxide, there's no more signaling molecule to tell hemoglobin to disassociate from oxygen. So inside the red blood cell, I have a protein called hemoglobin. And it's got a heavy iron atom. That's why iron is so important for human beings. So this hemoglobin atom has this heavy iron atom. When the oxygen comes in your lungs down to the alveoli, it has to diffuse into the blood first. So it has nothing to do with how much air I breathe in. In fact, if I go, I don't get more oxygen in my body. And this is what 
I'm teaching and in Oxygen Advantage, which I said has its roots in the Buteco method, this has been around for 70 years. But people just don't know it. They're just unaware of this. And in, in 2021, Washington University, which is like an Ivy, it came out with a study and it said the length of your breath hold time can determine your risk to cardiorespiratory illness. So people who have a proclivity to get a virus, because many people didn't, if it was really a pandemic, everybody would have gotten it. I'm just saying, I'm not saying it didn't exist. Of course it exists. But if there was a real pandemic, then people would have been dead all over the streets. But some people have a stronger immune response. And that's because of their level of carbon dioxide, which has now been unequivocally you know, studied by science. So you can determine whether your grandpa, your grandma, or you are going to be at risk for cardiovascular whatever it is. <laughs> whatever it is, it doesn't matter. This benchmark test can tell you everything about your health. It's the primary intervention before all medical interventions, and it's only been around for 70 years. So I'm not coming up with this. This research is set in stone, plus it's a physiological law of cellular respiration. So inside my red blood cell, I'm 99% saturated with oxygen. So because I'm 99% saturated with oxygen, it means I'm saturated. So it means that inside the red blood cell, hemoglobin that's carrying four oxygen molecules is holding on to the oxygen. That's why you're saturated because it's holding on and the only way to get oxygen to again the physiological laws called the oxygen hemoglobin disassociation curve the only way to get oxygen to release from hemoglobin is in the presence of carbon dioxide so rebreathing your own co2 is not a bad thing over a long period of time it could be but for a short period of time, carbon dioxide is medicine. Medicine. It's your own medicine. Every tissue in your body makes carbon dioxide. It's a product of aerobic respiration. So saying that, there's, that CO2 is bad for you is a complete and total fallacy. It's got zero merit. There's no science to say it. You can't show me any science that would say CO2 is actually bad for the environment or you. Um, but yeah, there's pollution, <laughs> there's bad gases, there, that's not carbon dioxide, because carbon dioxide is literally the catalyst for life. So, in breathing, everyone thinks that when you breathe in, you get more oxygen in your body. Well, that's not true. You are already saturated with oxygen. So if you're 99% saturated with oxygen, you want to try to make sure that you're only 96.5 to 98.5. That's called a sweet spot. And in that sweet spot, you're now liberating oxygen because you're able to retain carbon dioxide. So your body's going to work synergistically in a sweet spot, which is 72 degrees, blood pressure 120 over 80, temperature 98.6, not fine-tuned numbers, but there's a sweet spot. You could be 99.2, you could be 98, you're not sick, 
your temperature varies. Well, so does your oxygen saturation. So there is a right way to breathe and a wrong way to breathe. And <laughs> in, my, in my teachings, I was a trainer for 30 years and I studied with all the top movement coaches in the world. And the only time anybody ever taught me about breathing was breathe in on the way up, breathe out on the way down. So let's just say I do 10 breaths on 10 curls and I'm exerting myself on every breath. I'm creating hypertension because I'm breathing in excess of my metabolic demands because I'm breathing harder. And if I breathe harder and I breathe through my mouth, I remove carbon dioxide. And because my mouth has zero functions when it comes to breathing, I'm going to create um, a dysfunctional airway. So then you can't breathe through your nose. You might be the person who clears your throat all day. <clears throat> People that have to clear their throat all day. I hear that all the time. You can't breathe. People realize that one side of my nose is blocked more than another. Sometimes it's one side, sometimes it's the other. And all of this has to, it's a byproduct of breathing too hard. Um, I, I'm, I'm not talking about religion, but there was a, a, an awakened individual and they named him the Buddha because that's all the awakened means. And when this person sat under the Bodhi tree for two years, what they did was develop breath retention by not breathing. So the most advanced meditators, they don't breathe. They breathe out and they pause their breath because that's where a stillness is found. So when you breathe out gently and calmly, your body actually retains carbon dioxide. So because you have carbon dioxide left in your lungs, the carbon dioxide is going to go in the red blood cell. It's going to look for that hemoglobin molecule that's holding onto the oxygen and it's going to signal it because that's how God designed it. That's why it's a physiological law. So there's no debating that. And everybody needs to know this. I work with Olympic athletes, professional athletes, moms who have four kids, people that have addiction, people that have mental health issues. I work with the gamut of people. And when you teach somebody how to breathe, it changes their life. And we need to be taught how to breathe. I was as bad a breather as you could possibly be when I started this journey six years ago because I lived a life of stress. I lived a life of over-breathing. And then I got caught up in my dark night of the soul in my 30s and did things I shouldn't have done to my body. And um, I'm almost 54, and I can tell you that all the bad stuff that I had, uh, I was told by a high-level acupuncturist six years ago that guys like me have a heart attack in their 60s and die. And I was like, okay. I looked at my body, and I was like, well, I thought I was in shape. I look good. So you're telling me that just because I look good doesn't mean I'm, I'm actually healthy. And he was like, yes. <laughs> and I was like, okay, now start teaching me. So my kidneys were failing. My liver was failing. And you can only know that from Chinese medicine. A doctor wouldn't have told me. I've been to checkups, and I always got a clean bill of health because I had a nice blood pressure. Everything else was good, but yet inside, internally, you know, you're, you're rusting from the inside out because if you're saturated with oxygen, it means that the oxygen is bound. So that means only 1% out of that 99 is actually getting to where it needs to go. 
everyone needs to know this. It's got to be the forefront of everything we teach in the world now. Breathing will be the new health revolution. It absolutely will be. Everybody will need to learn how to breathe properly. So over the last five years, I've gotten on this breathing journey, and now my acupuncturist says, what you've done with your body is nothing short of remarkable. I've never seen anything like it. Not only have you reversed all of your kidney damage, but you're actually strengthening your primordial chi energy. And he said, keep going, even though he, didn't, he doesn't know anything I, I was doing. Um, so I have that, I go every week, so I have a, a doctor who's a Chinese medicine doctor, and then I have a chiropractor whose third eye is open. So I, I go to doctors, but I prefer the Eastern route. <laughs> I prefer the ancient knowledge. And this ancient knowledge has always been breathing-centered. So for any kind of meditation you do, I don't know if you guys know Dr. Huberman. He's got, like, besides Joe Rogan, he's got probably the second most watched, listened to podcast. And he's a neuroscientist from Sanford. And just like six weeks ago, they came out and said, because now they're really studying breathing. Now, the only reason we don't know it is because nobody studied it. They didn't care about breathing. Again, it was breathe in, breathe out. It, mean, it meant nothing. So he came out and said, which the Stanford study, that if you want to achieve mindfulness, you focus on your breathing. A lot of people can't meditate. I'm, I'm not a, I mean, you're not supposed to say this, but I, I don't feel like I'm a good meditator. I still have trouble controlling my monkey mind, but what I do is I just sit and focus on slowing down my breathing. So Dr. Huberman said that the science is now irrefutable that when you slow your breathing rate down to six breaths per minute, you can induce tranquility in your body. So that's not through hyperventilation. And a lot of people hyperventilate and they're like, oh, I had this change of consciousness and oh my God, I went into the outer realms and Wim Hof will say, yeah, get higher in your own supply, but you're not supposed to get high. You're not supposed to be high. You're supposed to live high through the power of breathing low, slow, and deep, which is stillness. That's why, the, that's why that guy sat still for two years under the Bodhi tree. And when he stopped breathing, the oxygen liberated from the cells, and then it starts to flood your prefrontal cortex, which is your neocortex. Neo, the matrix, right? They show you these things in plain sight. That's how important it is. And I just put out a video today on Instagram, and people are about hyperventilation, and people are like, no, you're wrong. I've, I've changed my levels of consciousness. I've, I've gone into the outer realms. It's DMT. I'm like, yeah, but you have the ability to live like that, not change your state of consciousness because you're just getting stimulated. And that's, that's not what we're actually, that's called profaning the mysteries. It means we started out breathing barely any air, deeply, fully, not fast, and then somewhere down the line, like the game of telephone, I told you my story, how to breathe well, and then you told her, but you left just the one piece off. And then she tells her, but she forgot just one little tidbit. And now she's profaning the mysteries, but she's trying to do a good job by telling her. And breathing is about stillness. 
So just by focused, intentional breathing, you can create mindfulness. So you don't have to meditate. You don't have to say, oh, I fucking have to sit still for 20 minutes. That's what I would do. Like, oh, fuck, I got to meditate, right? So now I just, I sit still and I breathe. And shit, I can do it for an hour every morning. Just sit and continue to focus on my breathing. And I'm going to take you through that. But I need you to understand that it's not how hard you breathe. It's how slow you breathe. And the slower you breathe, the better. So in 2017, Stanford also came out with a study, so five years before the one I just told you about, and it said that there's a particular part of your brain, they named it the locus corellis. I don't know why, it's a weird name. But this part of your brain spies on your breathing. So it's like, and it's spying on your breathing. And if he starts to breathe hard, it's going to be more upper chest. So let's do a little, let's do a little example. Everybody open your mouth. Put your hand on your chest, your hand on your belly, but now open your mouth. And now actively breathe through your mouth. Really breathe through your mouth. What hand do you notice moving most? It would be your top hand, wouldn't it? So if you're breathing through your mouth and your top hand is moving, it means you're not engaging your diaphragm, and your diaphragm is the seat of your soul. It's where all your emotions are repressed in your diaphragm because at the age of five, where they sat us down in kindergarten and they perturbed the natural childhood breath, which is bliss and harmony. And, you know, real life is, you know, moving, it's squatting, it's hinging to bend over, it's not this. It's not this. This is actually bad for your hips, bad for your spine, bad for your breath. It's the worst position you could be in. They say sitting for 20 years is like being in a car accident at 100 miles an hour, but yet you're sitting, sitting for 20 years. So when you, when you do that at five years old, what kid is sitting up, what kid is sitting up perfectly straight for the whole day in class? They're not. So they're like this. You know, they're, they're bent over. As soon as that happens, your spine's going to start to twist. And when your spine twists, which everyone has it, you're never going to take a full breath again. And uh, it sounds crazy to say that, but the good thing is that it, it, it becomes habitually corrupted, but we can change it. So I was as, as bad, I mean, of all the students I've worked with, the 500 students I've worked with, I've only met one guy who I'm currently training, he's a world poker player, who was as bad as me. <laughs> so the fact that I was so bad has allowed me to really be able to open up and, and give you just wisdom of how I've been able to change my own breath. And by changing my breath, it's literally changed my life. It, I was riddled with joint pain. I was an insomniac. I know I have, I have no more joint pain anymore, and I sleep through the nights. And I didn't think that would ever happen, and I was an insomniac for 25 years from over-exercising, over-breathing, too many drugs in my 30s, started drinking alcohol when I was 13, didn't stop till I was 47. I mean, you know, we've all been there, right? And all of that is going to mess up how you breathe because it's outside your physiological norm. So when we think about breathing, put your hands back on your chest and your belly. 
Now, keep your mouth closed and just breathe really gently. Whatever gentle is to you. Just breathe nice and gentle. Which hand is doing more of the moving? Some people are going to still feel it in their upper hand because they have irregular breathing patterns. But if I think for most of us, you immediately see that, okay, when I breathe with my mouth, it's more upper chest, which means it's less diaphragmatic. And when I breathe through my nose, it's more lower, which means it's more diaphragmatic. And if it's lower, it means the air comes in my body slower. And I'll tell you, God gave you a nose and it has 30 different functions for breathing where the mouth has zero. Your mouth should never be used to breathe, ever. Not an exercise. Like I told you, I'm, I'm training uh, world-class athletes and I'm getting them to breathe through their nose at all times. And when you breathe through your nose, you humidify the air, you sterilize the air. And in 1998, three scientists were awarded, awarded the Nobel Prize because your nose makes a gas called nitric oxide. And one of these scientists was canceled during COVID because he was trying to educate the world and say that you should wear your masks, but your nose, we proved, <laughs> it with the Nobel Prize that we proved your nose makes a gas called nitric oxide and it's antifungal, antimicrobial, antibacterial, and antiviral. So God gave you an ability to prevent yourself from being overwhelmed by viruses. Because you already have 380 million living inside of you right now. It's called viral load, and every virologist on the planet will tell you that. So when you're breathing, the first thing you need to learn and remember is that you should never open your mouth to breathe. Never. It's never a good thing. It's an emergency system. And now people want to argue, but if, if I can breathe through my mouth, doesn't it mean God gave it to me? Yeah, it's an emergency system. If your nose is broken, you've got to open your mouth to breathe. Otherwise, the cheetah never opens its mouth when it's chasing an antelope. Otherwise, it's going to start to breathe upper chest, and it's going to gas out. So the first thing we want to do is we want to go over a breathing technique, and they're called right action breathing mechanics. So it's very simple, very simple breathing, very simple. When you breathe, you breathe through your nose. And when you breathe, your nostrils are pointing down, so everybody thinks they should breathe up. But the airway doesn't go like that. Behind your nose, your, your sinuses are as big as your fist. So the only thing that's in your skull is your brain. Below that, it's empty space. So behind my nose, my sinuses are as big as my fist. And when I breathe, the air doesn't go into my brain it goes straight back. So it goes horizontally into the back of my throat. And when it hits... So said, um, yeah, he had me sticking a Q-tip all oh. the way straight back. <coughs> no, it was pretty trippy. But. Yeah, it would be cool if I could do it to everybody here. But yeah, I, I stuck something up his nose <laughs> to open it up. But uh, that was also to calm the limbic center down so you're not in fight or flight. Because if you're in a state of over-breathing, then you're in fight or flight, which we're going to get to. Um, so when you breathe, the first thing you want to uh, practice is right action mechanics. So everybody close your eyes and sit up nice and tall. Just think about your posture for a second because breathing 
is very important. Posture is very important for breathing. And if I'm slumped over, I'm not breathing well. So as you sit there, just observe yourself breathing. See if you can be the watcher. Just observe the air as it enters and leaves your nose. Feel the slightly colder air enter your nose. Feel the slightly warmer air leave your nose. Use this as a measure of your concentration. For how long can you keep your attention on your breathing before your mind wanders? This is mindfulness. You can achieve mindfulness in three minutes because the brain learns everything in threes. So you could start your day with three minutes of intentional, coherent breathing. And what that will do is slow your brain waves down and get you out of the fight, fight or flight response. So now, as you're observing your breathing, when you inhale, you inhale into the back of your throat Everybody's been to the carnival and you've seen the game where you shoot the water into the clown's mouth and you're trying to hit that dial. So in the back of your throat, there's an imaginary dial. And when the air enters the back of your throat, you simultaneously feel it in your perineum, which is down by your anus. You've all heard of anal retentiveness. Well, that's a real thing. You can actually breathe your way out of anxiety. You can breathe your way out of stress. You can breathe your way out of all dysfunctions because that's what breath is showing us now in the science. So as you inhale into the back of your throat, you simultaneously feel it down by your anus. And that creates a lateral expansion of your ribs. So now open your eyes for a split second. Now everybody take your hands and put them, if this is my rib cage, I'm gonna put it under my rib cage. So right here. Now, everybody knows that you're supposed to breathe diaphragmatically, right? Most people know, breathe with my diaphragm. And in yoga, this is it. They teach biomechanical breathing. But the first thing we did was biochemistry. We started to breathe light. We started to breathe soft. So now, with your hands on your ribs, close your eyes, and let's go back to our breath. And let's follow the breath. So now, you know what right action mechanics are. You breathe into the back of your throat, and you simultaneously feel it deep in your body. When you simultaneously feel it down there, you should feel on the inhale, your ribs expand sideways and on the exhale your ribs narrow so we're not trying to take a belly breath that's another misnomer because we don't want to breathe forward your diaphragm is a balloon and the slower you breathe the lighter you breathe through your nose the deeper you breathe keep breathing can you feel that? Remember when I had you open your mouth, it was upper chest. Now we're going back to nose, but we're making sure that the air as you breathe is very light. 
it's almost to the point where you feel a little bit suffocated, but you don't want to feel stressed. So if you feel a slight feeling of air hunger, then it signifies that carbon dioxide is increasing in your blood, which is going to liberate oxygen. So yes, my blood pH drops. That means it's acidic, but I don't stay there for a long time. It's just enough to get that oxygen saturation to drop to 97. And if it drops from 99 to 97, then that means I now went from 1% available oxygen to 3%, and that's huge in terms of healing. So, the first dimension of breathing is learning to breathe light and slow, horizontally, into the back of your throat. The second dimension of breathing is being able to breathe laterally and to the back. Now everybody take your hands and put them on your kidneys. If your shoulders hurt you, just turn them around, don't do this. So now, this has been known for 5,000 years, what I'm teaching you. I didn't make it up. This is Qigong breathing. Everybody here, anybody here of Qigong? Right, so your hands are on your kidneys. And your kidneys are your most important organs because they eliminate waste. You're designed to eliminate, to breathe out, not to breathe in. You only breathe in because you can breathe out. You only have the ability to put things in your body because you're also getting rid of them. Otherwise, you would get you know, overwhelmed with, with food. You have to be able to eliminate. So by learning to breathe with your kidneys, as you breathe light and slow and deep, you stimulate your kidneys to move your lymph. And your lymph is your septic system. So Qigong breathing is breathing energy into your kidneys. So now, as you breathe light, put all of your focus into your hands. And I want you to see if, as the air enters your nose, if you can't feel a direct vibration from your nose to your hands and kidneys. Can you vibrate energy? Can you feel the energy vibrating in your hands and kidneys while you breathe slower? And this is Qigong breathing. The lower you breathe, the longer the oxygen stays in your lungs. That's how you get more air in your body, not by taking a big breath. It's never been the right way. So by breathing in lightly and slowly, you now see that you can breathe deeply. So now you're not belly breathing, you're breathing into the back. And that's creating the diaphragm to open like a, like a balloon. And that balloon gives you intra-abdominal pressure that gives you better posture, spinal stability, and an effervescence for life. Now, there's a third dimension of breathing, and this is where the science comes in. And it's called the psychophysiological dimension. And this is what I want to leave you with, these three things today, is to actually understand the fundamentals of breathing which are the three dimensions. 
I breathe light through my nose. I breathe slow and deep through my diaphragm. And now we're going we're gonna to put a, a cadence to it. So the science tells us that if you only breathe one breath every 10 seconds, that's only six breaths in a minute. So does everybody, has everybody heard of heart rate variability? Everybody knows your heart rate, but there's something called variability to the heart. So if I listen to my pulse, everybody see if you can find your carotid artery. See if you can feel your pulse. Now this is very nuanced. Half of you are going to be like, no, I don't feel it. It's okay. So look for your pulse and close your eyes, because when your eyes are open, you're processing information. So I want you to get in touch with the feeling of your pulse. So as you feel your pulse, you're going to feel that when you breathe in, you're going to feel your heart rate speed up. And when you breathe out, you're going to notice that your heart rate slows down. That's normal. That's not variability just because it goes bup, 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 bup. Variability is actually in the change of the pattern. So if you continue to watch it over a minute, you might notice that the pattern never really changes. Bup, 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 bup. But if it's bup, 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 if it's all over the place, then that's variability and that's where you want your heart rate to be because that means that you are adaptable and resilient to stress. So when I teach athletes or CEOs, I actually have them physically feel their own nervous system. So you are physically feeling and listening to what your body's telling you. You shouldn't have to go to the doctor once a year. You should know this. You should be able to do this every day of your life. So when I teach people how to breathe, I give them physical tools that they can actually look at and say, okay, I need to self-regulate. And that might mean meditation, exercise, deep breathing, whatever. So now, everybody take your thumb and block one nostril. So we've been breathing, right? Everybody's breathing through their nose now. But now when you block a side, how well are you breathing out of that open side now? Are you noticing like, oh shit, this is hard to breathe. What happened? Change to the other side? Everyone's gonna have one side more blocked than another. I can hear people that are clogged, right? As soon as we went to that side, did you hear all the clogged nostrils? If you have a clogged nostril, you're not breathing well. If you have a clogged nostril, it means that the airway is compressed. And if the airway is compressed, I can't breathe light, I can't breathe slow, so I don't produce this gas nitric oxide, which means I'm gonna be more of an upper chest breather. And if I breathe upper chest, and I breathe too fast and too hard, my body experiences feelings of fight and flight all day long, even if you're just sitting still. Because I train CEOs and they're going all day long, they think they're in great shape and they're all terrible. <coughs> it's amazing, their heart rate variability is in the tank. So they come to me because somebody else told them about me and then they sit there and they're like, I gotta get back to work. <laughs> and I'm like, just, yeah, it's okay. So, but that's what I see, I mean, and that's how I was with exercise. 
I needed to kill myself all the time. We all have our, our own thing that we drive, it drives us, but why are we driven to actually be, have a proclivity to do a certain something all the time, and it's because our brain waves are out of sync, because we're breathing too fast. So in those three dimensions, we have breathing light through the nose, we have breathing deep in the diaphragm, but now we're gonna put a pace to it. And I'm gonna show you what the go-to breath is. This is the breath you should breathe for the rest of your life because it creates synchronicity in your brain and your heart. Have you ever heard of the HeartMath Institute in Wisconsin-Madison? So they study the heart as a battery, not as an organ, but as a battery that we're all exchanging energy right now. If I look at you, our energies are traveling through one another. If we have conversations, but if we do it on the phone, it's the same thing. We're all sharing this collective energy. And if we're breathing too hard and too fast, then if you're breathing too hard, then the person next to you, their brainstem thinks you're a predator. And I, and I mean that in a primal sense. Right? How, how many times have you been on the elevator? Of course, I, think, I, I watch and listen to people breathe all the time. So I'm over, over emphasizing it. But I get in the elevator with somebody and I'm like, hmm, you can hear them breathing. <laughs> Sometimes I, I talk to the person, but uh, my brainstem actually experiences this person as a predator. Because when we were living on the earth, we weren't sleeping seven, eight hours. That's, it's another load of hogwash. <laughs> I mean, I have a cat, and when he's asleep, his ears are like, so there's a, a noise in the hallway. He's like, and if I were to scare him, he wouldn't be like, what the fuck, what, what? He would just get up and run. He would just get up and run. Can you do that? Can you just get up out of sleep and run? You've lost that primal, that primal sense. And it's not about sleeping deeply. It's about breathing well. If you're breathing well, you're gonna get deep sleep and it doesn't have to be for a long period of time. So everybody put your hands, if you want, back on your kidneys or on your lower ribs is fine. And now we're gonna go into this, we're gonna get us out of the predator state. And we're gonna be these beautiful benevolent beings and we're all gonna interact with one another and we're gonna breathe in entrainment. So we're gonna breathe together, one breath. It's not a collection of 40 breaths, it's one. And it's seven billion of one breath. So my mission is to teach humanity to breathe six breaths per minute or less. You know, 10 years ago it was to fuck everybody up and now it's to, to save the world, right? And it's nice how, that, how it changes for me. Um, and I see the power in it. So hands are on your ribs, close your eyes. Remember, when I start counting four in and six out, your job is to breathe light and to breathe slow. You don't breathe the air, the air breathes you. So when I count four seconds in and six seconds out, you're just allowing the change of pressure in your nose and out of your nose. You're not actively trying to breathe, it's an action that involuntarily happens. And when you can get into that involuntary state, that's when the parasympathetic nervous system activates and you can literally start healing right now. And you're healing each other because of that collective energy. So I'm gonna say, ready, breathe in. 
Ready? Breathe in. Two, three, four. Out. Two, three, four, five, six. In. Two, three, four. Out. Two, three, four, five, six. In. Two, three, four. Out. Two, three, four, five, six. In. Two, three, four. Out. Two, three, four, five, six. In. Two, three, four. Out. Two, three, four, five, six. Last one. Two, three, four. Out. Two, three, four, five, six. Okay, you can take your hands down. So that breath is studied, heavily studied. And it tells us that your heart rate variability should go up. Vagal tone will go up. Vagal tone is your 10th cranial nerve, the parasympathetic nerve, the vagus nerve. So we can induce the rest and digest response in the body through slow breathing. And, and again, the research is now just coming out constantly about how tranquil breathing is better than anything you can do, better than exercise. Um, I spend most of my time now doing more deep breathing than I exercise because I don't want to kill myself anymore. I want to be able to breathe slow and calm. So you've learned how to breathe light through your nose. You've learned you need to breathe deeply with your diaphragm. You need to feel your lateral ribs expand. And you've learned that if I breathe one breath every 10 seconds, means I'm only breathing six breaths a minute, that I can induce tranquility and I can activate my rest and digest response. So there's one more thing I'd like to leave you with, and that's um, I was telling you about the study that Washington University came up with. So there's a very simple test that we can all take together that will determine what your threshold of carbon dioxide is. And it's a measure of your state of health that no, they're not going to do it when you go for your yearly physical. Um, you know, medical science is usually about 10, 15 years behind what's really good for you. So I'm going to teach you now because, again, it just came out in 2021, and even though it's been around for 70 years, I'm going to give you the, the 411, which is what you can now use for the rest of your life and with your friends and family. So the test goes like this. You don't do it yet. You interlock your fingers. And when I say, because we're all going to do it together, when I say exhale, pinch, and hold, you breathe in light, you breathe out light. Don't bring more air into your body and don't push any more air out because that's not a normal breath. It's a normal breath in and a normal breath out. When I get to the end of the exhale, I'm going to pinch my nose and I'm going to pause my breath. Think back when I was telling you about meditation or how the breath should naturally pause. And we shouldn't feel the need to breathe in again. So the length of time that you can pause your breath without feeling the need to breathe tells you how much stress you have in your body. And, and whether or not 
you have feelings of suffocation. And let me tell you, I was as bad as it can be. As soon as I paused my breath, I had to breathe. When I tried to breathe out for six, I breathed out in two and a half. Because my whole life I was over-breathing because I thought that's what made me a good athlete. Breathe as hard as I could. So I was just creating bad habits in my nervous system, which created inflammation in my lungs and destroyed my, my kidneys. So the test goes like this. It's a normal breath in, a normal breath out. Remember, you don't push any air. It's just normal. So when I count down from five, that's going to give you time to get in sync when I say exhale, pinch, and hold. So it doesn't mean exhale for five. It means just start right now, just start taking normal breaths, just the calm breaths. So when I say five, four, three, two, one, then we're going to go like this. And when I say exhale, pinch, and hold, everybody exhale to the most comfortable part of the exhale where you feel no stress and you pause your breath. You're not holding it. You're actually saying, okay, when I breathe out comfortably and I stop my breath, when do I feel the need to breathe in again? And you're going to let go at the very first sign. Now that's very nuanced, so it takes time. Some people might hold a little too long, it's okay. Here's how you know if you did the test correctly. When you let go, because you think you felt the first sign of needing to breathe, when you let go, you should go back to breathing normal. If you let go and you go, and you feel yourself take a breath or you take a couple of quick breaths, you were actually holding your breath, but you didn't realize it because we're over breathing. So we're gonna do this together. I'll count out the time. And it's just so you can get a barometer of how you're currently breathing. And this is the primary intervention before all medical interventions. I mean, now I'm, go I'm getting into cor corporations, sports teams. It's, this is gonna, I'm telling you, it's the new revolution. Okay, so remember I'm gonna count down from five. I'll say exhale, pinch and hold, we'll pinch. First sign you need to breathe, let go. When you let go, it should feel like you were not holding your breath. Five, four, three, two, one. Exhale, pinch and hold. Two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, fourteen. 16, 46. Okay, everybody's done. So that length of time tells you what your baseline health is. 60 seconds is homeostasis in the body. So you should be able to pause your breath for one minute and sit there like, like you're in meditation, like you're in deep meditation. That's what Yogananda was talking about in Autobiography of a Yogi 
when he would go up to his guru, Lahiri Maheshai, and be like, is he breathing? He, looked, he thought he was dead. Because when he breathed out, he didn't have to breathe in again. Because he had a high threshold of CO2. So if your number's at 60, you're breathing at baseline. So I tell my students lovingly, because <laughs> you don't talk bad to somebody's brainstem, but you don't know how good you don't feel. You actually don't know how good you don't feel. You think you might feel good, there's always better. So if you're at 60, now you're at, let's say you're at 40. So if you're at 40, that's not bad, but it means you're still breathing a quarter more than you should be. If you're at 30, which we actually consider to be a good test mark, 30 means you're breathing double as much as you should be. If 60 is normal, which is six breaths a minute, if I couldn't hold my breath for 30, or let's say I did, well, instead of breathing six breaths a minute, I'm breathing 12, which means I'm fast breathing all the time. If I only got to 20, that means I'm breathing four times as much as I should be every minute. So that means I'm breathing 24 breaths a minute without even knowing it, because no one ever taught you. And that, at a young, and most everybody in here is young, most, um, it starts now, and aging, and dis-ease, because I don't really believe that there is such a thing as disease, there's only one disease, and that's acidosis. It's when the body gets acidic, the body breaks down. It's just common sense, it's chemistry. You can only have two sides of chemistry, alkaline or, or acid. So, if I'm at 20, I'm breathing four times as much, and if I'm at 10, I'm, a, I'm in the danger zone, and I was like six. As Soon as I, I let go, I had, I had to breathe again, and uh, everything was going wrong with me, and now I'm close to a minute, and I feel really great, but it has nothing to do with me. It's about everybody knowing this, so that they can get on just a simple breathing routine. So every morning, wake up, put your hands on your ribs, and breathe in for four and out for six for three minutes. Start with three minutes. But you gotta do it in the morning because when you wake up, your brain waves are usually lower, so you're not initially in beta. Some people are gonna wake up and be like, fuck, what do I have to do today? Right? So they're immediately in fight or flight. You're disconnected from reality. Anytime you look at your phone, you're not present, right? And you can't breathe because you're looking down, so you can't breathe. If I do look at my phone on the street, I'm always like this. <laughs> I always walk around, I look at my phone, plus I can see. So I do that, I walk around, I look, I'm like, so I can look around. So you've learned your test, your baseline test, and you've learned how to breathe today through three dimensions, which is breathing light, breathing laterally with your diaphragm, at a specific pace, which is the perfect breath. Four in, six out. Now, if you struggle to breathe out in six, like I used to breathe out in two and a half. So if you struggled, if anybody struggled, you regressed the exercise. So for a week, breathe in for three and out for three. Master that. Then breathe in for four and out for four. Master that. Then breathe in for five and out for five. Now you're at that 10 second level. So now you're at that perfect breath level. Master that and then go to four and six out because you always want to give back more to the universe than you actually take. Um, Oh shit, I forgot about oh, questions. Right. Thank you.